4: What up, America? Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you from the City of Angels, where it is sunny, it is windy, and uh, it's also home to the best team in the NFL and uh, arguably one of the top five other teams in the National Football League. And the Dodgers have a home playoff game on the 30th anniversary of Gibby's home run off of Eck. We'll get to that. Which call was better upcoming in the show? Yeah, we got a lot to get to. NBA tips off tomorrow night. We got Monday Night Football tonight and an incredible series of games in the National Football League yesterday, starting off with the one that I got a chance to be a part of, which up until last night was game of the day, right? Overtime, Dolphins, Bears, that vaunted Bears defense seemed to tire and the Dolphins had a great game plan with Brock Tober, Brock Osweiler getting the start. How crazy is that Brock Osweiler, his first start with the Broncos, his first start with the Texans, and now his first start with the Dolphins. All three wins, all three over the Chicago Bears. And then, of course, uh, culminating last night in what we thought would be the game of the week and may well be the game of the year thus far, the Patriots take down the Chiefs. Um, Did you guys know that the Patriots did not punt? Last night, you're like, well, where have I seen that before? The Super Bowl would be the answer for the Patriots. And all of the palaver, one of my favorite words. David Stern taught me a word. This is like a decade ago when he was talking about the palaver in the offseason. I was like, palaver? It was all of the the talk. All the talk of the offseason was Brady and Belichick don't get along. I've heard for the last couple of years, some people who have jobs on TV saying, Brady's ready for a precipitous decline. And then at the start of the year, people want to call it. All right. I want to be the first to call it Patriots are done. And then they get Josh Gordon and then they get Julian Edelman. And then they smack around the Miami dolphins that came in undefeated. And then they win a couple more games and they don't punt against the Kansas city chiefs. And Tyreek Hill might be the fastest player to play in the NFL. I'd- Uh, An NFL front office guy I was hanging out with on Saturday said he saw him playing for Oklahoma state. His first game was against Florida state in Jerry's world. And they all concluded then that he was, he played at a different speed than anybody. And now you watch him run away from really, really fast dudes. And that might actually be true. The Kansas city chiefs have a tremendous offense at Pat Mahomes for the most part, Played great football. Now, he made some mistakes, and we told you Friday what Kiko Alonso told me earlier in the day on Friday, which is like, hey, if you're going to be the Pats, you got to just not make any mistakes. But has there ever been an organization ever that just figures it out? Defense wasn't great. It allowed 40 points, but they got two picks, including a pick six. Tom Brady was good. Was he perfect? No but they established a power running game with Sony Michelle. They figure out how to make their new wide receiving core kind of work. They get the ball to Gronk where Gronk has one of the all-time great stiff arms. And while Kansas city scored a bunch of points, it's a lot like happy Gilmore when he was driving the ball, but not winning tournaments. Patriots Patriots are sitting up there at the podium. Hey, Hey, what about me? We won the actual game. Hey, it's, it's the craziest and most explainable, least explicable thing, but they just figure it out. They just figure it out. And oh yeah, by the way, remember all that talk about the NFL and how uh, it's unwatchable. It's two hand touch football. And I don't hear anybody complaining about Pat's chiefs. You guys complaining? First half of Dolphins Bears, I was a part of it. It was seven nothing, boring. It was interesting. I mean, it was it was really interesting. Jordan Howard fumbles at the one foot line for the Chicago Bears, and then Brock Osweiler throws one ball deep down the field to Kenny Stills and gets picked. Well, it wasn't the Kenny Stills. Um, he end up ends up getting picked. Um, but the bigger point was, you turn around in the second half. And it was a lot more fun. It was Devontae Parker. It was more fun. How much fun was Sunday Night Football? I'm on a plane watching it, just hooting and hollering, and everybody's just going crazy. This is the, <laughs> the best. Football is a lot like men, trying to explain men to women. I have girls, and I have a boy. Boys are easier; they're easier to raise. Just get them something to do, get them something competitive, get them out there moving. Like, was it Jeff Foxworthy? I want to see something naked. Want some cold drink? And I want to see something naked. I men are pretty; we're pretty easy. Americans are pretty easy. Football is pretty easy. We want some hard hits, and we want to see you score. We want it to be competitive. We want it to be close. We want to see a score. If we didn't want scoring, we would watch soccer. But we don't watch soccer and with the exception of every four years where if we're involved, we pretend to care about soccer. Why? Because they don't score that much. And they don't hit each other that much. That's it. We're not that hard. Men aren't that hard to figure out. Football's not that hard to figure out. Yeah, the defenses and offenses are intricate. And sure, it's about finding mismatches and pre-snap reads and motion and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, we like offense. That game was fun. Yeah, the Chiefs got to play two-hand touch. And it's Andy Reid. The thought that Andy Reid is going to come through in the playoffs and not get tight, not get conservative when he has a lead, I'll believe it when I see it. And it'll be interesting to see if Pat Mahomes continues on this incredible trajectory where he has had some games where he takes a step back, but he keeps Making throws and slinging around and moving around to make you believe that maybe he's the new age Favre or Aaron Rodgers or some uh, comp of the two. But at the end of the day, you can't make mistakes if you want to beat the Patriots. We told you that Friday. Defense may ultimately win championships, but man, is it fun to watch offense wins games. And ho-hum, the Patriots, probably the second best team in football. And the AFC runs through New England. The Patriots are team. You are not going to declare dead. Until a year after it happens. i right? it's it they're, they're they are as a team as Brett Favre was as a career. Brett Favre's out. He's done. They brought him back. Brett Favre's out, he's done, they brought him back. That happened in Green Bay three times over. Then he goes to the Jets, and then he's a, then he goes to Minnesota, and then he quit, and then Chili sends three dudes or four dudes down on a plane. They bring him back with some awful worn-in Nike hat, and they bring him back. Oh, now it's over. He was out of the league a year before. I was like, okay, now I'll believe it's actually done. We are not going to have to, we're, it's not just going to have to have mirrors over underneath the nose of the Patriots. We're going to have to have a decaying corpse Of the Patriots. I need a complete season of decay before I declare them dead. Because otherwise, the sun rises in the east and sets to the west, and the AFC goes through Foxborough, Massachusetts. Period. Stop. End of story.
5: Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
4: Trent Dilfer is a Super Bowl champion quarterback and a quarterback guru. You can find him on Twitter at Dilfer's Dimes. Check out the Elite 11, the nation's, uh, go to Elite11.com, nation's premier quarterback competition. Um, I got a chance to, to do sideline, Trent, for um, Bears uh, taking on the Dolphins, and it was really eye-opening, not just the game and the speed of the game and watching both quarterbacks work, but also talking to the offensive coordinators and the head coaches who are, Former coordinators in their own rights. Uh, let me start with with Mitchell Trubisky, um, who they they love everything about him. They they love very athletic, but he did he missed on a couple throws, um, and he threw a bad pick in the end zone after a pick play called back a called back a Trey Burton touchdown. And I'm I'm just wondering, they're all Ryan Pace and that crew is all in on Mitchell Trubisky. Two years in or year and a half in, are you?
2: Well, first of all, it's a terrible call on Burton uh, and a terrible decision on the next play to throw it in the end zone. Uh, I am not sold yet. I love the physical makeup. I love the competitor. I know Mitch since we did not invite him to the League 11 finals uh, his junior year in high school, and we've talked through all that. Uh, I love the type of kid he is. I, I do think his limited starts at North Carolina uh, will slow up his growth process. Uh, he's going to learn under fire a little bit more, um, but all the makings are there. Is he playing great football now? No, a lot of that offense is manufactured, and people are going to, um, you know, get on to a little bit, and the book's going to be written on him. And he's going to have some struggles, um, but I don't see any reason why in two, three years from now he's not a top ten quarterback in this league.
4: They, they seem to they seem to be believers of it. There's just there's some throws there that he where he leaves some points on the field, uh, which are the, the only things that leave you kind of scratching your head, but the leadership stuff they love. All right, w- what about Brock? Brock, Brock Osweiler uh, gets gets the pinch hit, gets the start, because Tannehill is hurt. And he's got this crazy stat where first start with the Broncos against the Bears get a win, first start with the Texans against the Bears get a win. Then yesterday, you know, they got rid of it really quick. They ran the ball a bunch on first down to get to third and manageable. But second half, he started to throw the ball a little bit more down the field, a little bit more down the middle of the field, getting more to his playmakers. Uh, how did Brock Osweiler go from a guy who uh, felt like he was falling out of the league to, uh, again, as a, as a pinch hitter, played so well yesterday against that kind of defense?
2: Well, when he's growing up. You know, he's had a lot of setbacks that he's uh, gotten through the right way. Uh, he got a lot of help yesterday. Uh, you know, he threw what six or seven balls at the line of scrimmage that total 150 yards or something. Right. I mean, it was something ridiculous. He did make some big boy throws in the second half. We also kind of played with that carefree, non anxious attitude that you can play with when you're a backup. Uh, Brock's issue has been in his time in the NFL. Once the book is written on him, once people start scouting him and game planning him, uh, he struggled. He's pretty one dimensional. So, uh, I was happy for him, man. He played great. It was a great win for them, especially after the fumble on the goal line to, to bounce back and win it. Um, but it's not like Brock Osweiler is going to become a name again. We're talking about as an NFL quarterback very often.
4: Yeah, I would. I, I I tend to tend to agree with you. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Trent Dilfer oh. is our guest. what did you see from Mahomes last night? <clears throat>
2: It's scary how much like Brett Favre is. You know, I played against Brett in his hair, heyday, those three MVPs. I was 1-10 in, in Lambeau against him. Um, I got to see it up close and personal. Um, Brett would come out in big games and be a little fiery, a little amped up, miss high, take extra chances. Uh, you knew you had to get to Brett early if he was going to make a mistake. Uh, once he settled down, once he got into rhythm, he was nearly unstoppable, and, and that's what Patrick Mahomes is right now. Uh, he's, uh, he's a, you know, a $300,000 sports car that they're driving wide open. They're not, you know, they're not cruising around town with him. They're out on the Audubon going 160. Um, they're taking a ton of risk. They're pushing it down the field. They're not putting any restraints on him. He made a couple of mistakes. He bounced back. Uh, and they put up a 40 piece in Foxboro and that's hard to do. On a primetime game, it's the kid's first primetime game. Crowd noise, travel, all the things that go with that. Big media week for the kid. I mean, think about what the kid's life's look like this uh, season midweek with the media requests he's having to go through. That that takes a toll on you. Uh, he goes up there, he puts a 40-piece on him, and 53 plays, Doug. they only had 53 plays. The Patriots had 73. Um, I, the sky's the limit for this team, for that quarterback, I really want to see that matchup again, but I want to see it in Kansas City. I think it'd be a different game.
4: Um okay, then 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 let's go to the other side. How, Brady, Brady they didn't punt. Now they got stopped on downs early, and uh, Brady fumbled, but they they did not punt. How do we go from this offense looking so inept and granted I know you added Julian Edelman uh, and Josh Gordon, but how how did they go from looking so inept to suddenly not and and this is not the 85 Bears that they're facing, right? Or your Ravens defense that they're facing. But my my goodness, this is a different team. What have they figured out?
2: Well, you can see at the beginning of the year, they're more dedicated to run the football this year. Um, they have bigger offensive linemen, especially with Trent Brown. Uh, they have the rookie back in Michelle. They have multiple backs that can run the Rock. Uh, They have one of the premier blocking tight ends in football. They have a very good fullback. And at the time, they didn't have Gordon. They didn't have Edelman. So they didn't have the guys that could take advantage of those matchups outside of Gronk. So in passing situations, they got uh, stifled a little bit because teams focusing on Gronk. Now, Chris Collinsworth did a great job last night of explaining, hey, all these runs, 38 in total, all these runs, they're moving the chains, they're eating up the clock, but at some point, they're going to create these isolation matchups with Gordon and especially Gronkowski and Gronkowski had one catch. And then it was like, Chris was prophetic. The next thing you know, Brady catches him in a run front. It's called a bear front. That play where they showed over sure. where the tackle blocks out and, and Gronk had the free release. He sees that front because they're getting gashed by the run. He audibles to that play. You can clearly see him go to his uh, headgear and change the play and get to the audible and they get the big chunk there. Then they get the play To close out in the two-minute situation, Gronk on the switch-release-go route against man coverage with Brady hand signal. So my point to all that, a typical deal for a long-explanation answer, is they're more dedicated to running the ball. They're going to eat up more clock, they're going to protect their defense, and they're going to be more a big-play offense, Uh, more chunk-yardage plays. They're not going to be the spread-out, five-wide option routes inside Edelman White catching 12 balls a game. They still have that, and you'll see that on third down. You'll see that in two minute. You'll see that in situations. But their core offense this year is more of a run, run-action, opportunistic, chunk-passing game. And because they didn't have Gordon, they didn't have Edelman early on, there was some frustration going through that. But in six weeks, I think this is one of those offenses not, we'll just, that won't just be explosive – but it also hold the ball for 32, 33 minutes in the course of the game and protect that defense.
4: Yeah, a little bit. And it's really, really amazing on on how they how they will change and figure it out. And part of it is, you know, you have a, a rookie Sony Michelle, a rookie running back who wasn't healthy in the preseason, early in the season, and he's just a rookie. He's kind of got to figure it out. He's figured it out. Uh, speaking of figuring it out, um, the Dallas Cowboys talk about laying. They lay forty on the Jaguars. <coughs> now, I, I want to get to Blake Bortles in a second. But what are the Dallas Cowboys doing differently?
2: They're growing. I mean, everybody, everybody and I get it, you got to have the token Cowboys section, uh, segment because it pushes ratings and everybody wants to talk about the Cowboys. And But they're a team, you know, they're just figuring it out. They're, they're a defense that's pretty darn good, going to get better. Um, some young pieces in there, they're still probably a difference maker at safety, a difference maker defensive tackle away from being dominant, but they're good. Uh, offensively they're growing, they're trying to figure out what their offense should be. I thought yesterday was a step in the right direction, more Saturday-looking offense, more motion, stack receiver looks, spread out looks, giving Dak more space to maneuver, um, let him run a little bit. The zone read is still a very dangerous weapon in the NFL if you use it judiciously, so they're trying to figure themselves out. What are they, three and three? I, we can have the same conversation in three more weeks, and they're still probably figuring out. The one thing I do like about Jason Garrett, everybody killed him last week and we talked about it, but he's a process guy. He's a big-picture thinker. He's a long-term guy. Now, that's not everybody's taste. And you know what? If he's too patient over the next couple of years, there may be a switch. But right now, with this team taking the long-tail approach to growing this team, is the right thing to do, and they're moving in the right direction. They're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. They're probably not going to win it next year. But I think if you can fight into the playoffs this year, you can be a contender next year, And in three years you get some more difference makers and you're still not having to pay out these massive contracts, then you got a chance.
4: What What's happened to Blake?
2: Well, I think Blake is a guy that and again, I I don't I think ever the narrative on Blake is probably true. He's not a franchise guy. He's not a guy that's going to carry your team. He's not a guy that can make up for the errors of a lot of other people. But he was the right guy when that team was playing their style of football. They've been decimated by injury. Uh, offensively, they're on the third tackle. They don't have their premier running back. They don't have a lot of the things they thought they were going to have. So their philosophy has changed, and he's not probably – ready for that not talented enough to take that burden of being a high volume passer defensively they haven't held their water I mean that is a team that was supposed to be dominated by defense they have a lot of money in that defense they have premier players they have difference makers they should not get gashed that should be un- unacceptable no matter how much they're on the field I've been on those teams that your defensive centric and the great ones take it upon themselves to say listen it circumstances don't matter. We're going to keep that other team out of the end zone. Worse scenario, they're going to kick field goals. And this is two straight weeks they've been gassed. So Blake Bortles is a, is a guy that, if given a strong defense and offensive philosophy that suits his strengths, can take you a long way. But as soon as you get outside of that profile, then he's not going to be a guy that can carry you. And then, and that now, especially as you look around the league, where there used to only be four or five guys that could really carry the water of their team Mm -hmm. now we might have 10 11 12 guys that can do it so it makes him look that much more deficient than everybody else
4: Uh, there's this talk well you should trade for eli and first of all i i thought they should trade for eli last year but that was when blake was under a different contract between blake's contract and the fact that eli looks washed that 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 does not appear to be a, a a possible or prudent decision right
2: No, and I think here's a bigger conversation, one that you can build on the rest of your show, the rest of the week, and you get people's input in, because I really think it's maybe one of the biggest discussions in football right now. Can you even win a championship if your quarterback eats up a major part of your salary cap, if your name's not the New England Patriots? Then again, can you win a Super Bowl if your quarterback and alpha-wide receiver are eating up a significant chunk of your salary cap? I would argue it makes it very difficult to do because the rest of your 53 becomes so weak because you can't pay them. Or you're trusting undrafted rookies in key positions in the fourth quarter, playing in the secondary, playing on the offensive line, or maybe running routes for you. And where the salary cap has really hurt football is that they included the quarterback in it. If they would have taken the quarterback out of it and just capped how much quarterbacks can make but didn't involve it in the total salary cap, You would have better football teams, but right now the Kansas City Chiefs, the St. Louis—I'm sorry, St. Louis always—the LA Rams and the Philadelphia Eagles have a chance because they're on first contract quarterbacks. So, bulk of their salary cap isn't devoted to salary to the quarterback, so they can spread the wealth around and can be a better team. Did you mention Eagles? Eagles, Uh, Eagles,
4: Eagles. but hey, Tom Brady's twenty-first in base salary, by the way. Okay, um,
2: exactly. I was just listening to a discussion on Fox uh, with Whitlock talking about, and Tony Gonzalez brought up a great point, that Tom Brady cares so much about winning, he should be the highest-paid player on the planet. And he's 21st because he takes less money because he gets it. He takes a long-tail approach to this that, listen, I don't need to make $33 million a year. I want that extra $12, 13000000 million to go to go get Trent Brown or to pay Edelman a little bit more or give Gronk what he deserves. Or, you know, Hightower on the defensive end or McCordy. Those guys need to get paid too. We need 53 guys where TV, where the media has ruined football. And I was part of this. But where we've ruined it is we've made it too quarterback centric, too sizzle centric, too flash centric. It's the greatest team sport ever because it does take everybody. And I know you don't have time to talk about it, but it takes your third, your swing offensive lineman. Has to be a good player if you're going to win.
4: Well, listen, listen, I I, I I agree with you, but I'd also point out that I would, if I if if push comes to shove, I would rather invest it in the quarter. Now, look, Tom Brady w- with the cap hit is actually he's I think twelfth, uh, eleventh. Let me see here. He's tied for eleventh with Philip Rivers at twenty two million. Because remember, they they gave him more in, bo- in bonuses or whatever. But the 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 point is, like I watched Khalil Mack, who's had an incredible season, but he was. <laughs> He was a non-factor yesterday in Miami, whereas the quarterback is never a non-factor. So if if I'm forced to choose between the two, I choose quarterback. But managing the egos, managing the salaries, not lumping it into one or two players is kind of the key to to building a you know 53, 46, whatever man roster where you, you can compete in the NFL, where guys go you know guys always go down with injuries, but you do need a viable quarterback in order to win.
2: I totally agree, and I'm with you 100%, and I would never pay Le'Veon Bell because I've already paid Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown if you're going to get to that. But I think the answer to where we started this is you have to cut bait with Blake Bortles. You have to cut bait with Eli Manning. If you don't believe Tannehill, you got to cut bait. You have to cut bait on guys and go get the Herberts, the Locks, the Stidhams, the Finleys, whoever you think your guy is, or the year after this, the Haskins, the Tua's, whatever it is. But as long as the salary cap is what it is right now, where the quarterback is part of the overall cap, I think you're going to see a massive shift to going and get, trusting a young guy because offenses have changed. It's an easier transition in the NFL where you're going to spread the wealth, try to win with a first contract quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be exceedingly more difficult to win with a second, third, fourth contract quarterback unless if your name is not the New England Patriots.
4: Now, that's interesting. That I did did not think of. Uh, Trent Dilfer, check out Dilfer's Dimes on Twitter. Plus, you can go to Elite11.com for the nation's premier quarterback competition. TD, awesome stuff. Thanks for joining us.
5: Thanks for having me, Doug. You see you, man. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I like when
4: narratives slowly die. They just die. They go away. You're like, yeah, but let's let's go back through my Twitter account and delete that one. Right, there was the guy who remember the after Michigan lost to Notre Dame, Jim Harbaugh, Clay Travis. Jim, Clay Travis did a whole whole piece, but it was the whole last sixteen games. They're eight and eight, and Jim Harbaugh is the most overrated, overhyped. He sucks. And then you're like, oh, then now they're. Uh, 5-1, 6-1 on the year. They dominated Wisconsin. They don't beat ranked teams. Wisconsin's a ranked team. They beat them. Yes, they had to come from behind to beat Northwestern. Uh, who Northwestern beat Nebraska. I don't know if you guys saw that game. If you had Nebraska at 0-6, if you had the, the futures bet on Nebraska being 0-6, congratulations, take all of our money. That's crazy. But... um. I like when narratives die and felt like three narratives died this weekend, at least three. The first that this is, this is one I love. I love this one. Remember when Blake Bortles was a franchise quarterback. Hey, Blake Bortles proved everybody wrong. Blake Bortles lit up the Patriots and you're like, Blake Bortles is out. Blake. I was with you all the time. All these jerks who said you couldn't play, who said you weren't any good. I would also, I'm also not going to take the Blake Bortles can't play. Blake Bortles can play when they have Leonard Fournette behind him, when they have their offensive line all set, when they're built upon the run, when they can get a lead, when they can shorten the game, when their defense can pin their ears back and get after the passer. And that way they can get after you defensively. Like, when you when all these things kind of work together that's pretty damn good not great but anyone who is like Blake even Doug Marone and others who came out critical of uh, of the new book out from Doug Peterson remember that well Peterson was critical of the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars, chose to take a knee in the AFC championship game with 59 seconds to go and the lead showing they didn't have faith in Blake Bortles. And I understand that the Jaguars look, the Jaguars are in an, uh, um, inenviable position of you have to defend your guy, even if it's in defensible position, but they gave him a new contract and they gave him more money. This whole idea that Blake Bortles is somehow now good. That narrative has died, died, done, finished. All right, here's another one. Remember when Tom Brady and Bill Belichick couldn't exist anymore? I saw it on TV. I heard it on radio. That was all of the yakking going on during the offseason. Well, you know, when you watch Tom Brady's Facebook show, He seems to not be getting the respect he deserves. Well, you know, when you read his post and Malcolm Butler signs the Tennessee Titans, when you read in between the lines, he actually is supporting Malcolm Butler, not supporting Bill Belichick. Well, you know, when they trade away Jimmy Garoppolo and trade away Jacoby Brissett, Bill Belichick didn't want to do it. That was because the two guys didn't get along. and Or maybe the Patriots knew that Brady still had plenty left in the tank. The new rules prohibit anybody from coming anywhere near the quarterback, and they weren't going to be able to re-sign Jimmy Garoppolo unless they franchise tagged him and you can't franchise tag a backup quarterback, let alone a starting quarterback and put a field a team around you. They did the best they could with two assets who they were going to have to move anyway. That narrative has died very quietly and very quickly and no one is should should rightfully be discussing it today no one no one. oh yeah the malcolm butler oh malcolm butler was so was done so wrong malcolm butler is a shell of the player that people used to believe that he was i mean heck you even look at nate soldier who there, there were family reasons why he left new england and went to new york because of his child's health needs, but it's also the fact that the Patriots allowed him to walk out the door. And then I, I frankly would point out the narrative about the Chargers. Oh, same old Chargers. Same old Chargers. They don't even have Joey Bosa and they're four and two. It, it, it'd be fair to say they were disappointed against the Rams and against the Chiefs but you're four and two and your best defensive player hasn't played a snap yet. That narrative of the chargers will never win. The chargers don't have home field because they don't have home field advantage and they're the chargers, or maybe they have really good players and a really good quarterback. And now that their offensive line is playing well, they're as good as anybody in football. Look, I I like narratives. I like things that you can kind of see all coming together to where people can nod their head. But oftentimes when they die, people don't declare them completely dead. The idea that the Chargers can't win because they're the Chargers. That one died. The Patriots and the relationship between Belichick and Brady was so fractured that it was beyond repair and ultimately would come to a head on the football field this, this year. That has died. And so too has the, you guys got Blake Bortles all wrong. Oh, here's another one. I got one more. Jason Garrett's going to be the first coach fired. Jason Garrett can't coach. Jason Garrett, I heard Stephen A. Smith say this last week. Last week, The only reason Jason Garrett has a job is because of his relationship with his owner. Now, it should be pointed out, anyone who downplays the relationship with the owner is an idiot and has never worked for, with a business, for a business. Like, if you don't think the, the relationship with your owner is important, you never work for somebody. Congratulations to Stephen A. Smith, I guess because they have multiple je- bosses now and they've had changed bosses at ESPN, but I guarantee he's got a relationship with his new boss just like he had one with his old boss. <laughs> and when it's a guy who actually owns the company and writes the check, you damn better have a, a relationship with him. Or it could be, that they won 13 games two years ago, nine games last year, even though they had a litany of injuries and a suspension of their best offensive player. And while working through things with a quarterback who I believe is average at best in the National Football League, Cowboys sit at three and three, and they just hung 40, 40 on the Jaguars. 40 on the Jaguars. It didn't say he's an offensive genius or a savant. But the idea that because he didn't go for it on the 43-yard line, which I saw a coach do it yesterday in Miami. I saw Adam Gase, an offensive coordinator, do the exact same thing in Miami yesterday. At the end of regulation, punted the football from about the exact same spot. Because he did it somehow, he's going to get fired. The Joseph Joseph's going to get fired. Not because of his relationship with his owner. Not because of his relationship with, John Elway because they're not winning enough games. And the equity that's been earned in Dallas is because with the exception of when Tony Romo and Des Bryant were both hurt a couple of years ago, they haven't had a bad year and they've had a couple of very good years. And now even with the limitations of the talent around Zeke, they're still sitting there at three and three,
5: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. If
4: you're going to pick up a book for yourself or you got a birthday coming up, holidays, i got a great one for you. It's called Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. It's on sale now. It's, it's as simple as a click away. If you love this league like I love this league and love learning about building teams in this league, you pick up the book. The author is a former general manager. His name is Michael Lombardi. He joins us weekly here on the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Um, give me a sense of your take with, with John Gruden. I know you've worked with Gruden in the past, and I know he, he felt like they were that, that, that there was a rebuild job needed in Oakland. But did he think they were going to be this bad this soon?
6: You know, Doug, I think the reality here is he felt like he waited a long time to take a job, you know, and he had many offers. I mean, every year we had the Gruden rumors we dealt with, right? So last year it was Tampa Bay. You know, probably had the sense that it wasn't the right fit, whether he liked Jameis Winston as the starter or not, I don't know. But I think a lot of what his decision came down to, besides the fact that he got $100 million for 10 years, was the fact that he thought he had a legitimate franchise quarterback in Derek Carr. And I think after being in the organization for nine months or ten months, I think that realization is different now. Yep. And I think that he's got to sit there and look at, really, what does he have? And really, when you peel back the layers, Cars never averaged over seven yards per pass attempt in his career. He has this, he has this perception of being this mad bomber, you know, the Daryl Monica of the new era. And yet he's never thrown the ball down the field. And the year they went to the playoffs was his best year, and he averaged seven yards per attempt. So... I think there's a disconnect. I think what John's finding out is where that disconnect is.
4: Yeah, look, that was my takeaway watching him. Like, the throw against the Dolphins, which lost them the game, I had the exact same takeaway. How much, remember, there was a lot of hesitance. One reason Houston passed on him twice was his brother, but also the idea that maybe he's like his brother and that he doesn't have, he won't stand in there in that that pocket. He won't step up and throw the ball downfield. Instead, he'll do the Sam Bradford. How much of it isn't just the association with his brother, but the style that's still the same in avoiding the chance of that big hit?
6: Well, look, you can go back and watch the USC game Fresno State played in Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas. Lane Kiffin was the head coach of of the of USC at the time, and I, and I think you know they put a lot of pressure on him, and I think that game was the reason why he went from being perhaps a first round pick to into the second round. There was concerns that, and it's always popped up. I mean, that's why he wasn't the top ten pick in the draft. Arm strength, no question. Release, wonderful. Athleticism, great. But I think it's the ability to make those throws down the field, stay in the pocket, take the hit, and keep going. You know, right now he's got that check-down ability. The ball's a hot potato in his hand. And then he makes mistakes when he gets to the red area. When the game speeds up, you know, he's turned the ball over three times in the red zone. He can't put any points. Here's where the key part comes in. You can talk all you want about the Raiders rebuilding, but when you have a franchise quarterback, you never rebuild, you repair. And they're talking rebuilding, which so, so, tells you all you need
4: to know. So, what do they do? I mean, I mean, outside of get as many, get as much as you can for all the other pieces. What do you do with Carr? That contract's not very old. It's not like you can cut him in the offseason.
6: No, and I think you just got to keep trying to find guys. You got to find your Dak Prescott in the fourth round. You got to find some way. All of a sudden, your team needs list went from being a lot of things on defense and some offensive linemen to, to perhaps a quarterback. I mean, you're just going to have to address it. The reality of the situation is you're not going to be, you're not going to be able to win. You're dealing with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, when John Elway went home the last couple nights, and he's lost his games. He saw Jared Goff yesterday, didn't play great, but then he saw, the week before he saw uh, Sam Donald, the week before he saw Patrick Mahomes. I mean, his team in Denver doesn't have a quarterback. He's getting there with Case Keenum. He's paid him $18 million. As a GM, that's a hard thing to understand. You can't beat, You can't win your division until you can beat the best team in your division who has the best quarterback. And if you don't have an arm to match it, you lose the arms race.
4: What do you do if you're Jacksonville?
6: Look, I, Jacksonville's been in denial. I mean, we keep, we keep banging this drum. I mean, I keep banging it. I call Blake Bortles the equalizer, the great equalizer, because he's made every – Jacksonville should be the best team in the league, but he equalizes them. I and you just watched the game yesterday, and they do everything in their power to not let Blake Bortles get involved in a game. It's three plays, first down, three plays, check down here, do that. They don't want him to participate. And you're never winning a championship like that. Now their defense isn't playing to the level it needs to play, which it looks like they're frustrated. It also looks like they're not handling success very well. The details aren't cleaned up. I mean, they didn't take Cole Beasley out of the game yesterday. And, look, if you're going to beat the Dallas Cowboys, you better take Cole Beasley away on third down and handle him in the slot. They didn't
4: do it. Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Radio. That's the voice of Michael Lombardi, former NFL general manager. He's worked with uh, and with and for uh, all of the big guys historically and run organizations, pick up his book, "Gridiron genius, a masterclass and winning championships and building dynasties in the national football league. Are you, you talked about Pat Mahomes. We saw kind of that gunslinger through, through a couple of picks, but did come back and and stood down in new England defense. Nearly one thing hung up 40 on the Patriots um, is how does this work? Once we get to when it really matters, right? Andy Reed has come up short in the playoffs, some because of the talent of his quarterbacks, but some because of his conservative nature. And then you got Mahomes, who's the opposite of that. How does it evolve as the season goes on?
6: Well, look, I think he's going Andy's going to have to fix his defense. What happened last night was remarkable. I, I looked at it the other way. I mean, if you're the Patriots, you had no penalties. You never punted in. Never the game. punted. Yeah, you gained 500 yards, right? You, you did everything in your power. To, to win with your offense, and you had, needed a last-second field goal to beat them. If that game's played in Arrowhead, I think Kansas City wins it. With all that being said, with all that being said, the, 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 the Patriots defense did the one thing they had to do. I tweeted this out at the end of the third quarter. Whoever punts in the fourth quarter was going to lose. This was You could appreciate this. This was a basketball game up and down the court. It was, a, it was, it was clearly a fast-break game. New England had the time of possession 36 minutes. Do you realize in the second half the Chiefs only had the ball for 10 minutes and scored 31 points? That's three points a minute. That's remarkable. That is flat-out remarkable. However, that being said, the Patriots found a way to win the game. The Patriots got to get better on defense. They're going to have to do some things. And once Kansas City gets some players back, I think they'll be better. I think the lesson we also learned, Doug, is that in the NFL today, You're not going to win with great defense. You're going to win with complementary defense. Your defense has to complement your offense. That's what the Patriots did in the first half. They just couldn't do it in the second half.
4: Michael Lombardi joining us in the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, Aside from the fact that the Jags are in denial, as you point out, and the defense didn't take away Cole Beasley, what else did the Cowboys figure out about their offense that allowed them to put 40 points on the board?
6: You know, I, I, well, I think they they let Dak Prescott get a little bit involved in the run game in the Mississippi State program. I mean, Dak Prescott's a really good athlete, mm-hmm. and his feet can get guys open. And we're going to see it tonight with Aaron Rodgers, what he's able to do with his foot movement and sliding in the pocket. His running ability is really strong, and I think that's what they allowed him to do. They created some place for him, a little run-pass options that I think they've got to go back – and really watch the Mississippi State tape and get that involved in what he's doing because I think that will help him more than anything. They don't have playmakers. Tavon Austin is not a playmaker. Tavon Austin is a specialty player. You put him in the game, you run a play, a screen, something to him, and then he comes out of the game. What you have to do is run an offense, and that's not what they do. Prescott's their best skill player along with Zeke Elliott, and you can feature those two players in the run game and also in the passing game, and I think that's what helps them.
4: Um, the L.A. Chargers go in and put 38 on the board against a very good Cleveland defense. Offensive line's playing well. Melvin Gordon has 132 on just 18 carries. Um, and Philip Rivers was, was above average. And they're, they're doing this without Joey Bosa. Everyone has said the Chargers have talent, but everyone also says, I'll believe it when I see it because, well, it's the Chargers. Are we ready to buy into the Chargers yet?
6: You know, I, I wasn't one of those who are buying in that the, the, the Browns are this great defense. I mean, look, the Raiders have been able to score since they played the Browns. You know, I mean, the Browns have a great player in Miles Garrett, and I think Denzel Ward can cover. He's not a great tackler, but he can cover really well. So I, I think they've got some pieces. I think what Sandy, what Los Angeles did to him yesterday, made the plays down the field, they handled them, and they forced them to have to play – from behind, which put the pressure on Baker Mayfield, which ultimately cost them the game. Their offensive line, the Cleveland Browns, broke down. I, I, I thought what Anthony Lynn said after the game was appropriate. It was honest. It was it was what I'm thinking. He said, we made it through the game without missing an extra point or field goal. Really, that's cause for celebration in Los Angeles if you're a Charger fan because special teams, when it gets down to these close games, you can't give away a point, and that's what the Chargers do. I'm not buying the Browns win as a signature win. I'm waiting for them to go... Beat Kansas City or beat Denver, somebody that they usually don't win against, and that'll tell me they're a good team.
4: No, that's a, that's a, it's a fair point. They got London, then they got to come come back and gotta, they got to go to Seattle. Got a couple other big road games upcoming. Tampa loses, fires Mike Smith. Is that their problem?
6: Well, look, I don't think Tampa's a very good team. Defensively, I think they've been bad. I mean, Mike Smith is a one dimensional defense coordinator, plays a lot of zone, a lot of easy throws you can find within his defense. He tries to play discipline. They don't. They can't rush the passer. You know, they don't tackle very well. I think these problems are bigger than just firing Mike Smith. I think Mike Smith, if you're going to fire Mike Smith, why don't you fire him on the bye week and get a new system and have a week to put it in place, at least in the meeting rooms, instead of trying to rush through it now. I think it's a challenge for them. I think this is not a very well-coached team in Tampa Bay. There's too many issues. There's too many details that don't get finalized. A little bit like the Redskins. I thought the Redskins would beat Carolina yesterday only because the Redskins played at a level of comp. They never, they never have any consistency or any attention to detail, and I think that's Tampa as well.
4: Um, the, the Titans, suddenly, they go from 3-1 and one to 3-3, three and three, and they get embarrassed at the, hands of, at the hands of Baltimore, and their offensive line looked in shambles. How much of it is on Mariota? How much of it is on the line?
6: Well, look, I, I've never bought into the Titans. The Titans, to me, have always been a team that you have to lose before they can win. Now, the Eagle game was an aberration. I just don't understand how that happened because the Eagles don't cover anybody. But essentially, when the when the Titans play at home, the last 18 games, they've only turned the ball over 17 times. They avoid losing. Yesterday, they just couldn't avoid it. Too many sacks. Can't get the ball out. They have no great skill players. And Baltimore just really took it to them. And then what really was problematic is Tennessee's defense. I mean, they're going against Joe Flacco, whose quarterback rating 64 when he faces pressure. Everybody blitzes Joe Flacco, forces him to throw the ball, especially on third down, when he all of a sudden doesn't play as fast. And yesterday, for whatever reason, Dean Pease, who's practiced against Joe Flacco most of his career when he was in Baltimore, decided not to do it, and Flacco was sensational on third down yesterday and made a difference in the game. I think that whole South, to me, there's not a strong team. I thought it was Jacksonville at one time. I'm not sure it is them. I still think they're the best overall team. But for me, I don't think Tennessee's a playoff team, even though they went to one last year. And Houston can't wait to give games away. They just couldn't give one yesterday to the Buffalo Bills.
4: Right, and and, and they got a gift from Indy going back two weeks ago and maybe one from Dallas going back last week, and yet here they are kind of hanging around. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Great stuff from Michael Lombardi. Michael, you teach us something every week about the league. Appreciate it, and we'll have people pick up your book. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Doug. That's Michael Lombardi. Gridiron Genius is the book.
5: If you dare.